Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, then he visited the temple. If Jesus were to come physically and visit our church today, what would he find? Well, we know what he found in Jerusalem, and we turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done, And the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. He left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to gather here today to worship you and to praise you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did when you came into Jerusalem. You went all the way to the cross to die for us. We praise you this morning as the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would welcome you as we have sung this morning. We welcome you, Lord Jesus, into our presence today as you, as you are revealing yourself to us through your word. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you like watching sporting events, you may have seen a sign held up, not in our house. Have you seen that? Some of the guys I play basketball with on Tuesdays and Fridays, When they block my shot, I've never heard them say it, actually, but I can imagine what they're thinking. Not in our house are you going to do that, right? That sign is intended to be a warning to the opposing team that if they have any any plans on winning that game, it ain't going to happen. Jesus said something similar to this in our text. He had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, but when he saw what was going on in his house, he put an end to it. The king who had come in the name of the Lord basically said, this will not happen in my house. And he describes then to us what his house ought to be. A house of prayer, a house of healing, and a house of praise. Notice, first of all, God's house is a house of praise. The Passover celebration was a huge event in the lives of the people of Israel. And they came from all over the Roman Empire to gather there in Jerusalem. And I tried to find out how many people do they think were there. It ranged from 100,000 to up to 2 million. I don't know if that's an accurate description, But Jerusalem was literally bulging. 
And for many people, it wasn't very practical to bring a sacrificial animal. And many of them didn't have Jewish currency to pay the temple tax. And so there was money changers and there were those who were selling uh, animals and doves for, for sacrifice to go on uh, during the Passover. And at the time of Jesus' ministry, this had become a huge business. Under the high priest Annas, the religious leaders became extremely wealthy. Historian Alfred Edersheim describes it, how it worked. He said, in order to be able to exchange money and sell animals, you had to pay a franchise fee plus a percentage of income. The priest took part in this by refusing to approve sacrifices of animals that weren't purchased under the franchise groups. So if you brought an animal from wherever you were coming for Passover, the priest would look at it and say, ah, no, 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 there's a blemish there. You're going to have to buy one over there. And so they would have to go buy one, and they were literally charged about ten times the normal price. And the money changers charged a 25% fee for their services. This business venture became known as the Bazaar of Annas. So you get a little idea of what it was like there and why Jesus did what he did that day. Kent Hughes describes it as a huge religious circus that resembled the bizarre mix of a county fair and the pit of a stock exchange. Does that give you a picture? <laughs> a huge county fair and the pit of a stock exchange. The noise must have been annoying. Can you imagine animals and doves for all of those people coming? Can you imagine the smell in the temple courts that day? as all of these people were coming to celebrate the Passover. And all of this took place, guess where? In the court of the Gentiles. So you had Gentiles coming, you know, to, to celebrate the Passover. What kind of a testimony, what kind of a witness was it to those Gentiles who were coming to worship at the Passover? It's no wonder Jesus did what he did. An indignant response. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple. He drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. In other words, not in my house is this going to go on. I wonder what would happen if Jesus came to every church gathered on Palm Sunday in our country today. What would he say? Would he say, not in my house? Will you live this way? Will you act this way? Not in my house. The religious leaders saw the temple as a place for personal profit. They were literally stealing from those who had come to worship. And I can hardly fathom that. Can you imagine that? If, if people were coming to our church and we were uh, picking their pockets or, or doing something to, to actually steal from them? 
They were robbing the people by charging an exorbitant amount for these sacrifices. But they also saw the temple as a place of personal protection. It was viewed as a robber's den. What's a robber's den? That's the hideout, right? That's where robbers go when they've taken their stuff. And that's their their place of, of protection. And so they saw the temple as their place of protection. Now, Jesus is quoting here from Jeremiah chapter 7. When he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Notice what Jeremiah says there in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 8. He says, behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? And then you come... And you stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and you say, we are delivered. We are fine. We are protected that you may do all these abominations. And then here comes the quote. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. So the people in Jeremiah's day thought that they could just live any way they wanted to live as long as they went to the temple. That was their praise of protection. Didn't matter what they did during the week. As long as we go to the temple, we're fine. We're just fine. No problem. And Jesus quotes from Jeremiah because the same thing was, was happening in his day among the religious leaders Robbing the people at Passover wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a problem. They had the protection of the temple. And so, it didn't really matter. We got this place, our source of protection. History has a way of repeating itself, doesn't it? In Jeremiah's day, then in the day that Jesus walked the face of this earth. How about today? Many people think that they can live any way they want to live as long as they go to church. End up in church on Sunday? A couple of brownie points, right? Did God a favor? I actually gave up an hour of my life for Him? That'd account for something, right? Their place of protection. Well, look at what God said through Jeremiah to the people of His day. In that same chapter, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 12, He says, But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of the people of Israel. And now because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called to you, but you didn't answer. Therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, And to the place which I gave you and your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out your brothers, all the offspring of Ephraim. So through Jeremiah, God is saying, you need to remember what I did to Shiloh. Where my name dwelt, my place was. 
That had been part of the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. But the Assyrians came in and took the northern kingdom captive and they destroyed that temple in in Shiloh. Christopher Wright says, By Jeremiah's day, Shiloh would have been an overgrown ruin, a future tourist attraction. It had once been the place where the Ark of the Covenant had been stationed, where there had been a central sanctuary for the tribes of Israel while Jerusalem was still a Jebusite city. But now, abandoned, derelict, most likely destroyed by the Philistines in the end of the 11th century B.C. And so Jeremiah says, go look at Shiloh. Go and take a good look at Shiloh. And see the future of this place you are so proud of and in which you feel so safe. So the temple in Shiloh was destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And now look at what Jesus is saying about the temple as he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Luke mentions this, Luke 19, verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you. They will surround you. They will hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. So in Shiloh, in Jerusalem, in the Old Testament... That which the people were trusting in, the temple, was destroyed. And Jesus said the same thing is going to happen. And it did, didn't it? 70 AD. Romans came in. They leveled the temple to the ground. The very thing that the people were trusting in. As long as I go to the temple, as long as we have this beautiful building, we're fine. And Jesus said, I will destroy that which you're trusting in because you're not trusting in me. So, did Jesus leave his people without a temple? It might appear that way. There's something interesting because this was the second time that Jesus cleaned out the temple. There was another time he did that back in John chapter 2. And you find something interesting there. John chapter 2, verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple, guess what? Those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Then notice what happens. Verse 18, The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority to do these things? Like, like who are you, right, to do this? Jesus answered them. He said, To destroy this temple, 
And in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, oh, it took 46 years to build this temple. Are you going to raise it in three days? What did Jesus mean? John tells us he was speaking about the temple of his body. Did Jesus leave them without a temple? No. Jesus is the true temple of God. And he is the only one who can protect us from judgment. A building will not protect you from judgment. Coming to church will not protect you from judgment. Only Jesus can. We just sang, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? No one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus is that temple. And when we receive him as our Savior, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We don't need a building to worship. I'm thankful for this building. Beautiful place to worship. But by entering this building does not spare you from judgment if you don't know Jesus. So there's the question. Do you know this one who came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? The one about whom the children sang, Hosanna to the Son of David? We need to know him. When we know him, we are protected from judgment. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice, secondly, God's house is also a house of healing. A house of healing. Although Jesus expressed great indignation for those who misused his house, notice how he offered great hope for those in need. Verse 14 says, that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now I find it interesting to notice that it was after Jesus threw out the money changers and the animal sellers that the blind then and the lame came to him in the temple. They must have sensed that Jesus welcomed them there which was something they probably hadn't experienced before. You know why I say that? During the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, the blind and the lame were not really welcomed by the religious leaders because they believed the reason they were blind or lame is because they'd sinned. They're being punished. So why would you welcome those whom God is punishing? That's kind of the thinking of them. And we see an example of that in John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And notice this, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? So even the disciples were affected by the thinking of the culture. Here's this blind man, and right away they're thinking, Wonder what he did. He must have done something really bad because he's blind. And so they asked Jesus. Notice what Jesus said. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, applied it to his eyes, and said, Go wash 
in the pool of Siloam, which translated means sent. So he went away and washed, and he came back seeing. So Jesus had come to do the work of God. And that's what he wanted the people at the Passover in Jerusalem to understand. His house was to be a place of healing. He welcomed those who needed him. And he healed them. Aren't you glad that Jesus welcomes those who need him? How many of you need him today? Don't we all? I don't care who you are. You need Jesus today. And you can rejoice that he welcomes us to come to him. Blind, spiritually blind. He welcomes us to come. Now, if Jesus had not been there in the temple when the blind and the lame came there, I don't know that they would have found much hope there. They wouldn't have been, they would have been accused of being blind or lame because they had sinned. But when Jesus was in the temple, it was a different place. His presence in that temple, lives are changed. His power was available to those in need. That's what makes the difference when Jesus is in the temple, right? When he is worshipped in his house. Remember when Peter and John came to the temple in Acts chapter 3? And there they met this man who was uh, lame. And, and they looked at, he looked at Peter as if Peter was going to, to give them something. And Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold. But what I have, I give to you. I give you Jesus. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I would have loved to have been there. See that, right? This guy... Uh, Brought to the temple every day, couldn't walk, probably carried there and just his tin cup, hoping someone would, would, would give some money. And, and Peter says, I've got something a lot better than that. i got Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. So like Jesus, Peter and John also made it clear that God's house is to be a house of healing. It's to be a place where people can meet Jesus. Is our church a place where people can meet Jesus? I trust it is that when people come here, they hear about Jesus. That's their hope. That's our only hope in Jesus. Someone has said that the church is a hospital where the sick and wounded can find healing. But that will only be true if Jesus is here. It is His presence that makes the church a place of healing. And that ought to be why we are here today, because we need Jesus. Are you here today because you need Jesus? There was a large audience that was assembled to hear the famous pastor Henry Ward Beecher. Any of you remember him? I know you weren't alive then, but you've read about him, right? 
And on that Sunday, this large group of people that were gathered, Beecher was not there. There was a guest pastor speaking. And when he went into the pulpit and people noticed it wasn't this famous preacher, there were some that got up and started leaving, walking towards the door. And this uh, pastor was pretty wise. He said, all who have come here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now leave the church. All who have come here to worship Jesus, stay in your seat. (laughs) That was a wise comment, right? If you are here for a man, for a preacher, or for any other reason, you're here for the wrong reason. If you're here to meet Jesus, because you realize you need Jesus, God will do something in your life. God will minister to you. God will encourage you. God will strengthen you. If you come every Sunday to worship Jesus, you will not be disappointed. Anytime His Word is proclaimed, He is here, right? Jesus speaks through His Word. God's house is a house of prayer, a house of healing. And then thirdly, God's house is a house of praise. And we see that in the lives of of the children. The children have something to teach us about praise, don't they? When they're up here singing, I can see it on your face. I get up here and preach, and it's like, what happened to all those smiles, huh? Children teach us something about worship. So they were praising him, but the religious leaders weren't happy about that. Verse 15, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done, couldn't deny it, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Did you hear what the children were saying this morning? I hope you loved it. Because they were talking about Jesus, singing about Jesus. Do you hear what these children are saying? If the religious leaders had been asked why they were so indignant when Jesus was praised by the children, they probably said, well, this is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. Only God should be praised, not this Jesus of, of Nazareth. But you know what? Matthew informs us a little bit later in his book, his gospel, the real reason. Matthew 27, verse 17. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? And then Matthew adds this, For Pilate knew that because of envy they had handed him over. Why? They were jealous. They were envious. And that's why when Jesus comes into town and all of these people are shouting Hosanna, and then he goes to the temple, their place, their house, so they thought, and these children are just shouting praise to Jesus. And what are they thinking? This is our house. This is our place. This Jesus of Nazareth, Why are they praising 
You see, the religious leaders didn't want Jesus to be praised because they wanted the praise. And you know what? There's something about wanting to be praised that is such a powerful part of our sinful nature that even the disciples struggled with this. We see this in the chapter prior to our text, Matthew chapter 20. Here's the mother of the sons of Zebedee, mothers of James and John. And bowing down, making a request of him, and, and, and Jesus said to the mom, moms always think their kids are the greatest, right? What do you wish? And she said, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine sit one on your right hand and one on your left. Not a big request. Not just a minor thing. You know, just the places of honor in your kingdom. My sons, after all, my sons are wonderful. Let me tell you about them. Okay? I mean, that's, there's a mother's heart, right? But Jesus answered, He said, You do not, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. So it wasn't just mom. <laughs> They said, Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we can do that. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit at my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now, the ten other disciples were there too. What do you think they thought? Matthew tells us, Matthew 20, verse 24, and hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. Isn't that interesting? Just as the religious leaders became indignant, same word, with the children praising Jesus. Now these two disciples go and ask for this place of honor and they become indignant. Why do you think so? Do you think maybe they wanted the place of honor too? Do you think that's what bothered them? I think you can make a very clear argument to that because this was Palm Sunday now, our text. Passover celebration. The night when Jesus established the Lord's Supper. What were they talking about? I'll tell you. Luke 22, verse 24, And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. Isn't that almost shocking? Here, the, the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he establishes the Lord's Supper and they're still concerned about who's the greatest. Wanting praise for themselves. Well, the religious leaders, that's exactly what they wanted. They were upset when the children were praising Jesus. But Jesus makes it clear that, that we have been created to praise him. Verse 16, do you hear what the children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yeah. Have you never read? Don't you know what the scripture says? Out of the mouth, notice this, of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared Praise for yourself. These children did exactly what they had been created for. 
they offered their praise to Jesus. You know why God made you? That you would praise Him. Worship Him. Lift up His name. Are you doing what you've been created to do? Like these children in the temple, you've been created to praise Jesus. And if you think about it, there are many reasons why we ought to praise Him. Right? He's the one who's made us, created us, wonderfully and fearfully made, graciously given us life, faithfully provided for all our needs. And most of all, why did He come to Jerusalem that way? To give His life on the cross. Why would we not want to praise Him? It ought to be that we can't help but There was an older woman who dearly loved Jesus. And often her cup would just overflow with praise to the Lord. And often during church, even during the pastor's sermon, can you believe it? She said, praise the Lord. Oh, man. How strange is that, huh? Well, sometimes her pastor was a little bit disturbed when Aunt Betty praised the Lord, he'd lose his trade of thought for a moment because it was so shocking that someone would actually say praise the Lord during a sermon. And so he offered her a pair of blankets if she would refrain from saying praise the Lord during his sermon. She was poor and she greatly needed those blankets and she did her best to earn those blankets on his pastor's term, but many Sundays, after being quiet for a while, a guest speaker came. And she was really touched by that message of forgiveness. And finally she couldn't take it anymore. And she finally stood up and said, Blankets or no blankets, praise the Lord. <laughs> she realized what Jesus had done for her. And that's what moved her heart to just say, I don't care about these blankets. I want to praise my Savior. That's why we have been created. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, there, there is that desire in your heart, I know. Now, Norwegians, it's a little bit hard to get it out. There's that desire in your heart. Let it rip. Let it go, right? Praise the Lord for His goodness to us. That's, that's why the church exists. It's, it's a place of, of prayer, a place of healing, a, a place of praise. Praising Jesus for all He's done. Let's pray. Father, thank You for that beautiful lesson from the children that this house is made to praise You. Lord, may that be our desire day by day to give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. May this house be a place where people can meet Jesus. We can worship him in spirit and in truth. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray.